Welcome to Performing the Arts, Season 2, Episode 2. My name is Brian M. Davis. I'm your friendly host of this little podcast, interview show, YouTube, whatever you want to call it. And joining me today is... Hi guys, my name is Allison Rapp. I'm a music journalist here in New York City. And Allison is also another uh, friendly face of Brooklyn College. So if you've been following my show for the most part, you will probably see people from Brooklyn College more often than not on my show. If I was at a different college, probably the same thing, but in Brooklyn College, there's a lot of people who happen to be in not only the performing arts, but also just like in that area. So yeah, musical journalism, not musical journalism, music journalism, that's, uh, can you tell me how you got into that career just on a more, I want to say like overly long thing, but in a very short and narrow to the point thing where it's just like, this is how I got into my career as a music journalist. Music journalist. Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I really haven't been doing that for, it, it hasn't been all that long and I'm still definitely like learning the ropes and everything like that. Um, I would say, you know, I always wanted to go into journalism on a more broad level. And I really was interested in like working in a newspaper room, that kind of thing. Um, but I kind of avoided the music journalism side of things just because I felt like, you know, everyone always talks so much about how journalism was a dying industry and newspapers were going out of business and this, that, and the other thing. And it just seemed to me like adding a like niche specialty on top of that didn't really seem like a good idea. Um, but I was really just interested in writing. And then probably around a year and a half ago, roughly, I was in one of my classes at Brooklyn College. Um, they have a multimedia like magazine class. Um, and our task was to put together our own personal like 10 to 12 page magazine on InDesign, like on the computer and stuff. I'd never done anything like that before. And really? my professor, yeah, it was, it was kind of wild. Um, and my professor, you know, was giving us different assignments. He was like, play around with this, that, and the other thing, and you can put it together in a magazine. And our final assignment was to do a review. And he was huh. like, I don't care what you do it on. You can do it on a restaurant. You can do it on a book. You can do it on a movie. You can do it on an album. He was a really big, like, music junkie himself. And I was like, I've never written, like, a full album review before. But now seems like a good time to try. So I wrote about Joni Mitchell's 1971 album, Blue. Um, and I was like, this is kind of fun. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I've always been a music junkie, but for the longest time, I had just decided that my music and my writing were two separate things. And one of them was my hobby and one of them was my job. And I felt like I needed to keep it that way. But then after writing that review, I was like, well, why, why can't I give this a shot? I might as well try it. And then I just started, you know, I was playing around with different album reviews and that kind of thing. And then over the summer, uh, Kiara Vasquez, who was the editor in chief of the Brooklyn College newspaper, hit me up and was like, hey, you should interview this guy named Henry Gross, who went to Brooklyn College in like the late 60s, early 70s, actually, maybe. And he actually was the youngest person ever to perform at Woodstock. He was just 18 years old. He was with the band Shannon at the time. Yeah. Um, and she was like, you should, you should reach out to him and see if maybe he'd be willing to do an interview. 
So I did. I called him up and I was like, hey, man, like I go to Brooklyn College. I know this is kind of wild, but like, do you want to do an interview with me? And he said yes. And I did a whole interview with him and it was in the paper. Um, and I, I don't know. It just I got hooked. And now I'm a music journalist. <laughs> I've been doing it since. Yeah, uh, especially since my background is primarily in theater. So and it's always like once you start writing, it's like it starts. It, it literally starts almost turning these gears that you haven't felt before in your own little creative creativity just start like really really start popping in and out of just like when i was a few years ago when i was in my community college i had a playwriting class and i never wrote a play before and what i what i essentially did was essentially oh hang on uh, uh, it's almost 4th of July, folks, as I'm recording this, so I'm hearing a lot of fireworks in distance. Uh, but yeah, sorry about my little distraction there. But yeah, it, it, it's not because I never wrote a play before, so writing a 10-minute play, that seemed very, you know, I won't say hard, but it does seem very difficult for me. But writing a 10-minute play and then writing how these, you know, two characters would, or maybe three characters, but yeah, two or three characters, that sort of thing, and it... it like running something that you are familiar with, that sort of thing, it really allows you to actually get more and more better and not only in writing, but in exploring what you want to do with your career, you know? Like I like film. So when I had to do like those uh, critique, like, oh, you gotta write like an eight page paper about these, about these couple, like these two films. Well, it's gonna take me at least a month and a half to finish this paper, but by the time I start writing it, it you know, it's like, I'm already writing so much critique about this stuff, about these two films that my professor probably go like, you know what, okay, A plus, that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, now I know you're from Buffalo. Did Buffalo, I'm not sure how the Buffalo music scene is up there. So it's like, did the Buffalo, like was, the, was there a good study music scene up in Buffalo compared to how it is in New York City where it's like, you know, prior to the pandemic, it was like, there was like wall to wall, like concerts in New York City, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. It's kind of a hit or miss thing. I feel like probably the best part about the Buffalo music scene is that it is small and, you know, everybody knows each other and everybody uses, you know, like people are using the same basis for the same bands and like you can go out um, once a week, you know, once a weekend and see the same bands playing the same local venues. And it's very much, it's very much a local scene. It's local people. Um, I like that a lot about the scene. I think that's great. I think it serves as, you know, this like bit of camaraderie and stuff like that. In terms of anything like beyond that, usually not. I mean, like most people in Buffalo, I know I grew up like a lot of the big artists will just skip right over Buffalo and they'll go to Toronto, which is only like an hour's drive from Buffalo. So what everyone would do growing up would be, you know, we drive up for concerts and drive back like for the weekend or whatever, not even for the weekend, you can do it in the night. So um, if you wanted to see someone big, you'd probably have to go up to Toronto to do that. Not that that was a problem or anything. Everyone had a lot of fun doing that. Um, so it was usually like, it's a big deal. If anyone big comes to Buffalo, I remember in 2015, Paul McCartney came to Buffalo and that was huge. Oh. That was gigantic. He'd never played Buffalo before. Everyone was like, oh my God, this is huge. Why is Paul playing Buffalo? 
little old Buffalo, that makes no sense. Um, so like whenever anyone like bigger comes to town, it's a huge, huge, huge deal. But I mean, I don't know. I would say that the local music scene is really, it, it's tiny, but it's thriving. It really is. Um, and I definitely tried to, you know, pay attention to what was going on in it. When I was in high school, I started writing for the, the Buffalo News used to run like a high school section, basically. Um, yeah. And high school students write bits and pieces and stuff every week. Um, and I actually ended up making friends with the one and only music critic for the Buffalo <laughs> News who took an interest in my writing and was like, hey, you know, it was just like, like I say, um, I always joke that Buffalo is a small, big town because we're the second biggest city in the state, but everybody still knows one another. Um, and the same goes for the music scene, definitely. But as you say, you know, like making that leap from what was a very tight knit local community to here, that was wild. <laughs> that was wild. Uh, how long did it take you to essentially adjust from the Buffalo music community to essentially the New York City music community? Because the five boroughs is, and Long Island, I think, have a lot of music to music to cover, especially if you're uh, a music uh, junkie or music, or not junkie, but music fan as it is. So yeah, like how long did it take you to essentially transition into the New York's uh, music scene. Yeah, I think for me, you know, when I first moved here, I was I was definitely really excited about the idea that big names were always coming here and that I could always rely on those big names booking shows. You know what I mean? Like if Fleetwood Mac was in town, they were going to be going to New York. They'd be at MSG, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I loved being able to have access to all of those big names um, that I didn't usually used to have as much access to in Buffalo. Um, and I got really excited and I would go to all these shows and I would spend a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. I still do. I'm not going to say that I don't because I still absolutely do spend a lot of money. But I think in the last like six months or so, I mean, of course, now things are weird, but yeah. um, I really started to try and hit more of the local New York City music venues, which I feel like not a whole lot of people. I don't know. The thing is, like, I wasn't really aware of just how much local stuff was happening local record labels, local bars that are booking bands, you know, every single night, um, local open mics, um, different things like that. And I really tried to start visiting some of those places and see what was going on and like who was playing small shows and stuff. Because I really, I found that I have just as much fun sometimes at small little shows at like a backwoods bar in Red Hook as I do like at MSG, you know? So um, I've really tried to get into more of that. It just sucks now not being able to. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, in terms of your critique, like, uh, like, say you have to go see a show. Say uh, Bob Dylan is going to see, you know, you got to go see Bob Dylan and uh, say, uh, I'm not saying MSG, but he's got to play, like, play at the Metal, like the Meadowlands or something like a smaller theater or something like that. Now, as a as a fan of Bob, you know, you'd be like, oh, Bob Dylan's like, I'm going to be as a fan. But then you have to remind yourself, oh, yeah, I'm doing this also as a journalist. So how do you essentially prepare for the shows that you have to to see as a fan compared to the shows where it's just like, OK, I have my journalism hat on. I have my, uh, you know, eyes and ears set to more of a critique level. You know, I'm sorry, Bob Dylan, but I love your music, but I got to see how you're playing tonight. That sort of thing. Like. How do you essentially approach something that is more, 
yeah, essentially that. It's like, how do you approach uh, events as a fan compared to events as a journalist? That's a good question. Um, well, I think that two things. One, you know, it's funny. I, I think I kind of used to think that way almost when I first started out in terms of like being a fan versus being a writer, being a critic, if you will. Um, and then around like, like roughly a year ago, I actually, through random circumstances, ended up meeting um, Tom Petty's biographer. And I had a few conversations with him and he's a really, really fantastic uh, locally based music writer and that kind of thing. Um, and I remember one time he said to me, and it kind of caught me off guard, and he was like, oh, we're both just Tom Petty fans. And he said it so casually. And I was like, yeah, that is what we are. We're always fans. Like, no matter what we're doing, even if we're at our jobs, even if we're doing our work, like, we're still just fans. That's who we are. That's why we got into this business. Um, I wouldn't be a music writer if I wasn't a fan. So I don't know if those hats necessarily are interchangeable. I'm still a fan. Like, I would still be a fan if I'm going to a Bob Dylan show. But I think what I've really tried to work hard on in the last year is, you know, it's one thing to just say, oh, well, I like that song by Bob Dylan. But then I have to work really hard to figure out, okay, well then like, how do I explain why I like that song? What is it about that like lyric that I like? Why do I like that bit? Why do I like this part of the album and maybe not so much this part of the album? Um, it can be hard to explain why you like a song, um, but that's kind of what I've been trying to get at more. Like what are some of the concrete tangible ways that I can describe why it is that I like a particular song? Because no one wants to read a review where they're critic is just like this was a good album because I liked it that's not yeah. Um, yeah so trying to figure out ways to be like well here here's why I like that or here's why I think that this is good yeah. and that comes with practice honestly <laughs> my first like pieces of writing were not so great <laughs> no I hear you uh, uh, my first pieces of writing especially for the the Brooklyn College uh, news uh, uh, News radio, yeah, uh, the Brooklyn College radio department. But, but my first pieces of writing for the Brooklyn College radio wasn't as best as it was, but I had a pretty awesome editor who really helped me, and not only helped me write better, but also really, really told me, "Hey, this is why I need to do a lot more better." That sort of thing. So yeah. Writing takes a lot, uh, writing takes a lot of practice. So, yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And I really do, I mean, like I didn't even mention that, but you bring up an excellent point, which is that editing, I mean, is just so, so crucial. I've been really, really, really yeah. fortunate to meet some really fantastic, like other writers, other editors who I've learned from. And it, the editor's job is just as important as the writers. It's so important. Now, do you have like any inspirations like growing up, uh, like favorite bands, that sort of thing that kind of like caught your eye into music? Because I know you said you're a big Tom Petty fan. Like, was Tom Petty the reason why you got into music or was there another band that actually got you into music? Tom Petty was my first concert when I was 14, but... Oh. Uh, I mean, I grew up with like, my parents were big music people. My dad was very much into like, you know, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, Dire Straits, Bruce Springsteen, um, The Birds, like a lot of American bands. Um, and my mother was very much like the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Peter Frampton, David Bowie, like a lot of British yeah. rock, that kind of thing. 
Um, so I grew up, you know, like I grew up with my dad having stacks and stacks of CDs in his car and my mother like insisting that Led Zeppelin be cranked to 11. Um, and I can remember being a kid and my dad introducing me to the Beatles movies and like Yellow Submarine and all that kind of stuff. So like it was very much like from day one and I think I just latched onto it and didn't let go. Um, but as I said, like I, for a long time kind of considered things uh, separate and like I pick up the guitar here and there and wrote some of my own stuff and this, that and the other thing. But um, I think partially because I, like I said, like I was a little bit hesitant to enter a field that I thought wasn't super stable, but also, you know, I didn't read a whole lot of female music critics until I was a lot older and in college. Um, not that they don't exist, they've existed for years, but like I had never read a female music writer until I was much older. And for whatever reason, I just like, I had no idea. Um, but now I know that like all of that stuff is fully possible and fully within my grasp and there's no reason why you know, if they can do it, so can I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, going into essentially uh, your uh, journalism career as it is, uh, were you originally going, is like, is that what you originally studied for when you went to college or, uh, you know, after high school, that sort of thing? Well, in high school, your prior education, you had a little, uh, you know, you wrote for the school newspaper. So, coming out of high school, you was like, you know what, I want to go into journalism, but uh, let me see if I could, you know, let me just think about what's going to be in the, in the first, uh, uh, first, uh, you know, I wrote for the school newspaper. Did you think, okay, maybe the next step is I want to go into journalism, but I also love music. So was it like a very hard choice to figure out, did you want to do music as a, like, um, like music, or did you just focus on journalism or was it like both? No, I think I definitely was focusing on journalism first and foremost, because as I say, like I was nervous about, you know, I, one of the key points I think about being a journalist is being as flexible and like versatile as possible. So if you can cover um, breaking news and you can also cover arts, like that makes you a really valuable candidate, like for a job, you know? Um, and of course it's, um, you know, that was kind of what you start out with when you start in journalism school and journalism classes. They have you writing a lot of hard news, a lot of breaking news, a lot of, you know, a fire broke out on East 12th Street at 11 p.m. last, like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I learned pretty quickly on that I wasn't very good at that kind of writing. I was okay, like I did fine. Um, but I was way more interested in like feature writing, magazine style writing, long form writing, stuff that was like, you know, two, 3,000 words instead of two or 300 words. Um, and it's so funny because like I have people, friends at school and stuff who are the exact opposite. They can churn out a hard news story in 10 minutes flat. But if you ask them to write like a longer piece about something, they don't know where to begin and they have a really hard time with it. So I definitely feel like I, I went in with just the idea of like journalism. I'm going to see where that takes me. I'm going to write about whatever I have to. I'm going to write about all these different things. Um, part of why I love journalism so much is because you do get to learn about so many different topics and write about so many different things. You become an expert in multiple different facets. Um, the music thing just kind of came along and the music thing was something that I was hoping would happen and is only kind of now coming into more of a fruition. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so glad that it, it worked out like that and I have no plans on uh, stopping. 
That's awesome. Uh, now, have you like encountered like musical theater or stuff like that? On occasion, yeah. I personally like I don't know enough about the like uh, industry in and of itself to be able to like write a decent piece, I suppose, about it. Um, but that's another like there are people whose job it is to cover that sort of thing, um, and I'm really really fascinated by that. I actually because there's a lot of music, uh, a lot of bands who actually take a lot of their music, you know, Pink Floyd. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Pink Floyd has, I think, the, yeah, The Wall has, I want to no, they're starting, they're going to start doing The Wall, I think, as a new musical thing. Yeah. The Who has, The, the Who has Tommy as a, a stage musical. Meatloaf, right. Meatloaf, yeah, Meatloaf just recently did uh, last year about, like, the Bad of the Hell thing. Yeah. David uh, Byrne is on Broadway right now. Well, he's not on Broadway right now, but like was on, was on Broadway right now. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of intersectionality, yeah, between like rock and the stage. Um, but like that's that's what rock and roll is, you know, it's a show, it's a performance. So um those like those and also too, you know, with like a lot of the recent um they're not biopics per se, but like what was the Queen movie, remember that? And the um the Elton John movie that just came out too, like that was a very theatrical thing. Um, I don't know if you know, like, have you encountered anyone who like works in that sort of like niche or anything like that, or or no? I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, you mean in terms of like musical th uh, music theater in general, yeah. or uh, I, I yeah, just like what are your thoughts on that? Uh, honestly, I've had friends in the in the past and friends in the present who actually are. Like, I want to say music, musically trained as theater artist, mm -hmm. and it is a lot more difficult to do because it's a lot more. I want to say it's a lot more. In uh, much more of an endurance test to, to essentially belt out like song after song each night that sort of thing, especially since you know a lot of these people. Now, they can be musically trained, but also you're performing on, on a Broadway stage or maybe even an off-Broadway stage, you know, with tons of lights in your face, that sort of thing. And just being under like maybe one or two lights or maybe even several lights on stage, it is a lot to work with. So yeah, I've definitely worked with people who have, you know, Broadway, I mean, not Broadway, well, yeah, Broadway expirations, uh, expiring, who have Broadway hopes becoming like a famous singer on Broadway, that sort of thing. Right, and, right. And, you know, that, but, and that it does lead to a good question, is that in your opinion or in your, like, kind of like, or in your, yeah, in your opinion, do you see essentially Highwood, like, adapting more musicals? Because I know uh, Spielberg was going to be doing West Side Story, but that's going to be delayed to, I think, end of the year, and now Lynn, Mar Lynn Miranda, oh God, I'm always mixing up. Uh, I'm always mixing up his name too. But, yeah, but the Hamilton guy, he just yeah. released Hamilton on Disney Plus, but he's also doing, uh, he was supposed to have done, it, he was supposed to have released In the Heights as well this summer, but because of Corona, you know, that's what, you know, that put a whole cost about it. And it's being released next summer. Mm. And, but do you see essentially, and you just mentioned, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and also Rocket Man. Do you see a lot more biopics of famous artists becoming a lot more 
especially in Hollywood, uh, like a lot more in the in the next, like say, several years, a few years. This, for the most part, the the artist biopic, especially for like a band or a musician, it's always like you know, it's always got to be around. You know, you have films like the uh, the Doors or um, you know. Um, and then you have like you know, stuff like concept albums that are essentially filmed like a film, say like you know something like Moonwalker or Thriller, you know Michael Jackson's old things, and you know uh, Beyonce just did uh, Lemonade like maybe a year or two ago, and that's essentially like a mini movie. Now, I do know. you and do you see and again? This is something I've always talked about with my uh, musical guests because my mu musicians always fully have essentially. Oh, well, hang on for a second. I wasn't sure if it was raining or if it was just fireworks. Just oh, fireworks. I'm looking out my own window. Yeah, it might. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I honestly, folks, at this point in, in in our lives, I don't know anymore. Okay, that's 2020 in a nutshell. I just don't know anymore. But yeah, in, in terms of your experience, do you see more Hollywood biopics based on musicians coming out in the next several years? Or do you see like uh, production companies gearing towards say musicals again? This is gonna sound kind of morbid and awful <laughs> and sad, but I do think Think there's probably going to be more biopics only because we're losing so many people as of yeah. the last couple of years you know like a lot of like that generation of rock and roll stars is you know like we had david bowie a couple of years ago we had prince we had tom petty we had just had little richard um yeah. the rate at which all of that is i'm not saying there's going to be a movie for you know like every single one of the last of those people but um yeah unfortunately that's the reality and i'm not sure there's only so much that you can then do beyond that i mean like there's a reason that that bohemian rhapsody movie was made and there's a reason why the rocket man movie although elton john is still living but i think you see my point you know like yeah. because we've seen those people um the idea that we could have a full feature-length film about them is really 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 appealing to a lot of people in hollywood and a lot of people all over the, all over the place um so like unfortunately as we lose those people i think you are going to see that yeah i wish that yeah. was the case um yeah I do have a, a question about that, uh, and uh, I'm not sure how much of Rocketman was edited down, but I know that Bohemian Rhapsody really didn't put a lot about, uh, I, I want to say it didn't really put a lot of emphasis on Freddie Mercury's sexuality in that movie. It was like they did a People were so upset about that movie. Like, so yeah. upset. I... I I don't know. I I didn't really follow why people were as upset because it wasn't oh, as well. It, it's a whole different uh, story behind the scenes wise, but it, yeah. It, but like my my qualm, I suppose, with the issue was that people were very upset and they were like, "This isn't what really happened." Blah 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 blah. Like, well, no. If that was what really happened, then they would have labeled it as a documentary. But nobody labeled it as a documentary. So yeah. um, you know, like. If, if something's gonna be a documentary, then something's gonna be a documentary. Um, and if it's not, then it's not. I was more upset, uh, I think it was maybe two years ago, there was that um, Martin Scorsese film, the Bob Dylan, like the newer one, the Rolling Thunder review came out. 
Um, and I was under the full impression that it was a documentary when it was released. It was, I think, labeled as a documentary. And then it turned out afterwards, we all learned that some of the people were hired actors and that like a bunch of it was made up stuff and everything like that. It made sense in the long run because I was like, that, that's a Bob Dylan thing to do. What a, what a jerk. Um, but like back to the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, you know, like that, that wasn't labeled as a documentary and those people are absolutely correct. There's a lot going on scenes. There was a lot about Freddie Mercury specifically that wasn't talked about. There was a lot about the other members of the band that was not talked about. Um, but the fact of the matter is that like you're just never going to be able to fit all of those things into a feature length film. You know, like all of those years of music and like showmanship and everything. It's just it, you, you have to make some creative choices. Yeah, and a lot of those creative choices is mostly just studios do want people to go and see these films and actually exactly. get money. And so they don't want people to be depressed, out, you know, depressed yeah. the hell out of, you know, seeing Freddie Mercury, you know, as a very sickly person at, at the end of his life. Mm -hmm. They want to see him at the at the prime of his life, that sort of thing. So, of course, a lot of these movies are going to be glossing over a lot of this stuff. You know, the Elton John movie, uh, I think for the most part, it kind of glossed over how bad his addiction was when he was, like, you know, addiction, like, at the, the point of, the addiction he was at because yeah i know for a fact that my brother said oh you know it, he was like way more messed up than he was in the movie so it's like so of course highway is going to be grandma uh highwoodizing essentially you know glossing over these portion careers i mean and these portion in terms of these artists that sort of thing uh yeah. in, ter in terms of and Going back to what you said before, uh, uh, Corona in New York City, you know, because I feel like at this point in, in, in this series, Corona has become like almost like a staple to talk about, especially in terms of entertainment. Because yeah. I've, I, I don't really don't want to like talk about it as much as I do, but it's always like a, a talking point for me. Now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the most part, for like say for the past like maybe four months or so, or maybe five months, uh, I forgot when it started in terms of the lockdown. Uh, more artists have been performing more on like social media, that sort of thing. Uh, Instagram Live, you know, especially if they are on YouTube, especially something like this, to be like, oh, you know, it's like on YouTube, there's people just like recording over uh, a Zoom chat, that sort of thing, and they're just doing a... Uh, uh, what's one called? Uh, they're either performing a song or like just doing Instagram. a yeah, like on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. You know. uh, do you see a rise in that in terms of just performing? Uh, like, do you see actual? Because I know, what was it? Uh, a couple of months ago, I forgot which band did it, but they were supposed to have like a a a, a big show, but they couldn't do the show, so they decided to do the show on Facebook Live, and it was basically the same stages and everything. It was a big rock band too, but I forgot what the band was called. But yeah, do you see essentially uh, that mentality or that strategy essentially to keep on going for the next, like, say, several years? Or do you see kind of like that mentality strategy uh, slowly going down the moment, uh, like, the entertainment fields to start coming back to normal? I think that slowing down has already started to happen. I think that 
you know, at the start of this, that was a really great idea by a lot of really great people. And it was awesome and things were getting churned out and that was really, really cool. But the truth was that, you know, like if you were a huge band like the Who or the Rolling Stones or whatever, like you were fine. You were going to be fine. You didn't even need to do any of those live stream stuffs because you already have all the money that you could possibly need to keep yourself afloat. And like, you're going to be fine for the long run. Um, those live streams really were very helpful to small gig to gig artists, local people who, you know, it, it's so funny. I, I did actually do a piece on this for City Limits. Um, and one thing that kept getting brought up again and again was this idea that like, it's so ironic that in the last 20 years, so much of music has moved online. And we all thought that that was going to be a really great thing, you know, like iTunes and all of these streaming services and Apple Music and Spotify and all yeah. of these different. Um, and it turned out that like, artists actually don't get jack shit from that, you know, they don't get paid very well from all of those things. Um, and it's ironic that now we're back to this idea of like live music is where the money is. If you're not yeah. playing live, if you're not touring live, um, you are probably not paying your bills on time. Um, so I think that, yeah, like I say, for bigger artists, they're going to be totally fine still. They've got all the money they need. I think it's really going to kill the small artists. I don't think small artists are really going to make it if, if this continues. I, I already think that they've kind of tapered off as it is, which really, really sucks. Um, I don't know what the solution to that is other than the process speeding up and like people getting back out eventually. Um, but I've also already seen, you know, like there have been some country music artists in Nashville recently who have gone ahead and put on shows anyway, even though they've specifically been told not to. Um, and that's a huge problem. Like, you know, putting fans at risk, even though you want to make money, I get it. You want to make money, but like yeah. you're putting people at risk. Um, and like, I know personally right now, you know, like if there was a gig that I really wanted to go to, I, I, I wouldn't go to it. It's just not safe right now. Um, but to answer your question, you know, I think the live stream thing has already started to take a downturn and it's only gonna, um, keep going from there, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I know for a fact that it's sort of like the same thing with movies is that people uh, yeah. like the movie studios really want people to go back into theaters. And right now it's like the movie theaters are supposed to, you know, reopen around say next week or so, but now that's being pushed back towards the end of the month or closer towards like early August or so. I've even seen stuff like, like I've seen photos of movie theaters now and they have these like glass partitions and stuff like that in between or whatever. And they're trying to set things up so that people can go do that. But I don't know, like, would you, does that sound fun to you? That doesn't sound fun to me. Like, I don't want to go do that. And it's odd because the drive-in actually is starting to become a lot more, like it's starting to become like a, 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 a the drive-in is actually getting a resurgence now because of what's been happening. So. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if there'd be like a drive-in music thing for like for for musicians, where it's like people would just go like, you know, that have a stage have a stage up, and then people just drive into the the stage and you know, walk out into like some sort of park that sort of thing. So I could see that. I could see that. I just still feel like you know part of the reason that we do these things is because we like to be close to people and we like all yeah. of the things about a concert you know like being two inches from somebody else um, um and not having to wear a mask and all of those things and we just have less people without 
you Hang broke up froze for a second can you hear me? yeah you yeah i can hear you okay. you were breaking up right there i think we're good now all right but yeah what was your uh before you broke up what were you saying oh, what was the last thing i said um uh something about the, the driving music uh like oh, driving theater. yeah like, i mean part of why we love concerts so much is because we can be like two inches away from somebody else and we don't have to be wearing a mask and like all of those things are fun. That's what we, why we like going to them. And I just feel like those are some really great creative ideas, but until you can get back to something that resembles normalcy, you're gonna have a way lower attendance rate. And is it even gonna be worth it then if you're only getting like a quarter of the people, you know? Yeah, uh, actually, uh, and so, to go away from that like Corona thing, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but in your opinion, which of the five boroughs in Long Island has the best music scene? And why is it, and, and why is it Brooklyn? <laughs> well, there you go. Like, do I even need to say anything else? Um, no, I, who the I'm heck like, is going up to Queen? or the Bronx, or Staten, Staten Island. That's not even a borough. <laughs> <laughs> I really shouldn't say these things. I should not say these things. I'm not a native New Yorker, so like I have no reason to talk whatsoever. Um, but I do really feel like, uh, I don't know. Here's the thing is that like I love Brooklyn and I'm still learning a lot about the venues in Brooklyn and stuff, but I have to tell yeah. you, like I'm such a sucker for all of those venues like in the West Village and stuff. Um, all of the old like jazz venues and folk hippie like spots and things like that. I love the West and East Village, all of those venues. Um, yeah. So I'm not going to say Manhattan because that doesn't include all of Manhattan, but yeah. <laughs> um, come on, Brooklyn. Like, why would I go across? I, the I don't have to. <laughs> I think Brooklyn has a lot. And I think this is another reason why there, uh, the, the New York City community, especially music, is so strong because Brooklyn is... I want to say like Brooklyn has much more of a music, a, a way to have people listen to music in a much more, uh, I want to say like friendlier way, but more grounded way. Yep. It's like if you go to Manhattan, right? And you go to say uh, some club in Manhattan, it's going to be loud. It's going to be a very, it's going to take very long to get there. You know, it's got to be very overpriced drinks, that sort of thing. Even if you're getting something like a soda or something like that, it's got to be like maybe six to eight dollars or something like that, just for like, for a drink. Uh, but if you go I, to Brooklyn, yeah, but if you go, I'm sorry. If, I was like, just going to say, like, I, I can see, I can see what you're saying. And I do feel like, you know, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of experience in terms of booking or in terms of like, actually getting myself or anyone else into um, like, performance slots but it does seem like if you want to play in any of those like semi-known venues um or established venues then you yourself have to be an like relatively established musician in Manhattan like you know in New York City if you want to play those Manhattan venues whereas like if you're here at some local joint in Brooklyn you can go down there and be like hey can I sign up for the open mic and they'd be like yeah have you ever played before no who cares? Doesn't matter. You can go up there, you know? Um, so like, I, yeah, like in terms of cat not catering to, but like um, making sure that the local musicians in Brooklyn get a chance to like get up and play. I think Brooklyn is doing a really good job of that. Yeah. And I've seen people who are from, you know, uh, Bronx, Queens, 
you know, Upper Manhattan, Lower Manhattan, that sort of thing. They will come to Brooklyn to play shows because I think Brooklyn has much more of a friendlier, but also much more of a faster, like, word of mouth. Because if you play a show in Brooklyn, even if it's like a pop-up show that happens, like, say, tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning, people will find out about it and they will show up because, you know, Brooklyn is like a very happening spot compared to say- Even if you don't oh, find out about it, maybe they're already there and they're like, damn, I'm so glad I'm here tonight because that band is awesome, you know? And then like, yeah. the word just keeps rolling like that. Yeah, compared to say Manhattan, and now again, not to show to Manhattan, but if you go to Manhattan, it's like, like it's a much more of a, not not necessarily a long commute, but it feels like if you go to Manhattan, it's much more prestigious. Here in Brooklyn, it feels like it's a, it's a lot more, again, yeah. it, it has a lot more of a friendlier type of vibe. Totally. Totally, I can see that. Yeah, laid back. Mm -hmm. Well, that, well, yeah, laid back, that sort of thing. Uh, in, in terms of your career as a whole right now, do you have any, like, career-defining moments or... Because I know you just did a semester abroad, or maybe it was, yeah, a semester abroad over in very old London, or not London, uh, just very old uh, Great Britain, or I lived in Glasgow. I lived in Glasgow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of, I, I want to say that's a good career-defining moment where you're able to go into, like, say, another country for, like, a whole semester or so, and then essentially absorb their you know, absorb all their stuff there. Yeah. But do you have any other, like, do you have a moment where you say, okay, this is, I know I'm going to, this is like, I know this is something I want to do with the rest of my life. I think it actually happened in, when I was living there. Um, your, your spot, you know, it was really nice to be away in, you know, like I, I wasn't working full time or anything like that. I was just focusing on school. And so I had a lot more time to just kind of like, focus on my writing and and write a lot of the pieces and think about a lot of the articles that I myself had been wanting to work on for months and I hadn't had the time because I was busy with school or work or anything like that. Um, so it was really nice to like have that kind of time for my own writing. Um, when I was over there, I actually ended up interviewing um, David Knopfler, who was one of the founding members of Dire Straits. Um, Sultans of Swing is their huge, like everybody knows Sultans of Swing. Um, and he, it was he and his older brother, Mark Knopfler, who, um, if any, anyone who plays guitar knows who Mark Knopfler is, like he's one of the world's best electric guitarists. Um, so anyway, like they formed a band together, Dire Straits, huge, huge, like formative band for me growing up. I had a lot of their records. Awesome. Um, but anyway, so like long story short, he had released um, a new record last summer and I liked it. And so I literally, I stalked him on Facebook. <laughs> People think I have a lot of like really cool connections or like I have people's phone numbers and stuff. I don't. I just use the internet. Yes. Um, and I sent him an email and I was like, hey man, like loved your new record. Would you be interested in doing an interview? And he was like, yeah, one's good. Um, so I ended up scheduling a time. I was like, oh, well, I'm living in Glasgow. Like whereabouts are you? Like we should, maybe we could have a coffee or something. And he was like, yeah, come on down. Like I live, I live in Devon, which is like this rural kind of tiny seaside country place in South England. Um, I'd never been to South England before in my entire life. I'd been to London, I'd been to England before, but I had never um, been to that part. 
And he was like, yeah, come on down, like, let's have lunch. Um, he was really, really, really kind to me. You know, the thing is, when you're a college student and you're starting out and you're very fresh in the business, it can be hard to get people to say yes to you um, because yeah. you don't have 10 or 20 years of experience under your belt. You don't have a million clips behind your back. You have a couple of things and like maybe you are good at what you do, but you are still a very young person. Um, yeah. So for him to say yes to me was really, really, really kind of him. And I went down and um, I was expecting us to just have coffee and talk about music. And he was like, oh, well, like, no, like, let's have lunch, let's have a beer, let's do this. And then he was like, oh, well, the dog needs to go for a walk. Why don't you like, come on with me, like get in the car, like we're gonna go for a drive, I'll show you around town. Um, and he drove me around South England in his like beat up Honda and we went to the beach and just like hung out and talked about music. And it sounds kind of, I don't know, it sounds kind of groupy-ish and maybe it is, but for whatever reason, like doing all that stuff was really, a turning point because it made me realize I was like well this is what this job could look like this is what this job could do for me and this is what um having fun on the job looks like you know like this is my dream doing this kind of work um and it was just as fun for him as it was for me and I think that that kind of now you know I wrote the piece and everyone loved it and I use it as a clip you know to show people all the time like here's here's what I did um yeah, I think that was really big. I don't know. I just went on a tangent. Did that answer your question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it did. It did. Yeah, uh, yeah I think meaning, uh, I, I honestly think meaning a musician that you genuinely respect and admire and love and hearing his stuff and knowledge of just music in general, even for the whole day and just being driven around town, that sort of thing, just talking, you know, just shooting the shit with him, you know, just, you know, having coffee with him, that sort of thing. It, it allows you to essentially figure out, hey, you know, I am going to be in the right path. If I, you know, yeah. I can see myself like literally doing the same stuff over and over again with diff just with this diff yeah. with, uh, well, with different I, artists. I, I think another, you know, there was a point in our conversation where I asked him about Sultans of Swing, which, as I said, was a really, really huge deal. And I said, to him, I was like, well, you know, I realized that song obviously meant a lot to you at the time because it meant a lot of money and fame and notoriety and all these different things. And that was a jumpstart for you. But like, what does that song mean for you now? And he looked me dead on. He was like, good royalties. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I laughed at the time and I still laugh now because it was funny how he said it and everything. But it really, like, it got my gears turning and it made me think a little harder about you know, like I'm a rock and roll person. I love rock and roll. I love a lot of the old stuff. Um, but I listen to a lot of contemporary things too. Um, and it just got my gears turning and I was thinking about how, okay, well, like here I am talking about the past a lot and there's nothing wrong with talking about the past and we all love talking about the past, but there's so much to talk about in terms of like music that's being made right now um, and music that's being made in the future. And how can we as music journalists then start thinking about you know, we can't cover the music industry and we can't cover music the same way that we did in 1969. Like, it's just not gonna work that way. Like, the height of Rolling Stone is never gonna be again. Like, we have moved past that. We are in a different era now. So we, as music journalists, like, it's our job to then figure out how we talk about music now, given the fact that so much is online, given this, that, and the other thing, you know, like it's, it's a new ball game and we have to write about it. So we better figure it out. <laughs> but anyway, that's just a fun anecdote. And it always makes me think about, you know, it, it forces me to think 
about the future? Uh, in, in terms of future, actually, it brings, brings me to my next question. Uh, what can we expect to you in the future or like for sure of future? Like once essentially Corona like finally, yeah. you know, finally goes away or at least they finally have something that could be presentable as a, say, you know, uh, Corona light season, so to speak, where it's just mm -hmm. like, there's not many more cases, that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like, we're at the point where we could actually manage everything. True. Um, I ask myself this question like once a week, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, you I have know, the same I, question daily. <laughs> I know, literally, like, don't we all do that? Um, I think, you know, in my dream world, like my dream job, I am an editor at Rolling Stone magazine and I'm fabulous at what I do and everything. Um, but we don't always get our dream job. We don't always get to our dream job right away. Um, yeah. I really, I don't know. I think my concern right now is definitely like keeping my fingers moving, whatever that might mean. Um, one of the best pieces that pieces of advice, sorry, that I ever got was that, you know, if, if you find what you really, really love to do, especially in the creative field, um, and you really, really, really want to do it, then you are going to do whatever else it takes in order to keep doing that job. If that means that you work 12 hours a day at a desk doing something entirely unrelated and you write at night, then that's what it means. If that means you wait tables all night and you write during the day, then that's what that means. But you're going to do whatever it takes in order to keep that going. And I think that's kind of like where I'm at right now. I also like, this is kind of like a really far-fetched dream, but I think way in the future I really want to get into um producing like actually being in a studio and working like as a producer perhaps because I think that's really cool um but a lot of it just kind of depends on on where the next couple of years take me and who decides that I have what it takes <laughs> yeah and I, I I do see you like literally writing for something like Rolling Stone magazine or or some sort of magazine in general like like a very top tier magazine where it's like Oh, it's like, you know, you're interviewing, you know, the hottest new, like, say, band, musician, and it's so, and it's a very, that sort of thing. But yeah, I could definitely I joke, see. I joke all the time that, like, I'm going to write Harry Styles' biography. That's going to be me or whatever. <laughs> like, I make that joke all the time, but I just feel like there are a lot of people, like, right now, currently, who are making music who are going to be doing so for the next 20, 30, 40 years. Um, there's there's always going to be music and so then inherently the way i see it there's always going to be music journalism um there are plenty of people who disagree with me on that but um that's the way that i see it that actually no pro no problem uh i actually was gonna ha ask you another question but i mean my last question but actually by hearing harry styles has now actually got me to another interesting question uh, I know he is mostly, you know, of, of a boy band singer in the past because of his group, One Direction, but when he has actually been on his own now, he has been actually molding a new sound. Uh, aside from Styles, do you see, like, who are other artists that you see who have been essentially branching off on their own into, in, who could actually become, like, a much more, like, I want to say credible, but, like, a very uh, popular artist on their own, just by not necessarily the band that they were in, but just being 
the band just being by themselves because in the past you know michael jackson became one of the highest you know hottest and highest paid singers of all time because you know he broke away from the jackson five and all that stuff and then he became like what's pepsi you know that sort of thing and then you know back in uh, you know, but yeah, there are other bands and other singers who essentially break off and become the hottest and highest paid act because they've been actually showing that they actually can do more than just being in that band. In your yeah. opinion, in your opinion, bleh, in your opinion, who could actually be on that rise where they could actually be breaking off from that band? That's what. I think Harry Styles is well on his way. He's working on it. He's not quite there yet. And maybe he won't get there for another 20 years, but that's fine. He's he's getting there. Um, I've been really, really, really into Phoebe Bridgers lately. Um, she just put out a new album called Punisher. It's fantastic. She could be the next Bob Dylan, if you ask me. Um, I So I've been really into that. I'm also really into Lizzo. I think she's really, really awesome. Mm. Um, and she's another one of those people, as you say, who like, quite frankly, I mean, she wasn't in a, a band, but like, she doesn't care at all what other people think about her. And she's going to make music that she wants. And I have nothing but respect for artists like that. Um, I've also been really into quite a few like contemporary country artists, not necessarily country artists, but like um, people like Maren Morris or Brandi Carlisle or Jason Isbell, even, you know, uh, people who are really, I I'll say this. I'm always super, super, super into um, artists who value musicianship over anything else. Um, I like artists who are in the studio with studio musicians, who are with instruments, that kind of thing. I will always place those people at the top of my list. But I guess if I had to pick one person, I would highly recommend Phoebe Bridgers if you guys are into like really, really, really great lyricism, really, really, really great structure. Um, I mean, like, oh my God, I'm gonna get like worked up talking about it. But anyway, um, Harry Styles, yes, too. I I would say we need to keep an eye on Harry Styles for the next like ten years. Yeah, in the next ten years, next ten years, you could be like 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 one of uh, the most popular uh, popular acts since Michael Jackson or something like that. Was, because because I've seen his, I want to say his new sound that he's been doing. Because I know he did a, a, a Howard Stern interview like a, a while back, and they actually showed his uh, rendition of Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. And, you know, it's a very easy song to listen to, Sledgehammer. And then when you hear his version, oh, like... so good. That was yeah. so good. But like, he's also done, like, I've heard him cover Joni Mitchell. I've heard him cover, uh, like, he's covered Lizzo. He's covered David Bowie. Um, he, I think, I think what I like so much about Harry Styles is that it's very clear that he listens to a lot of people and he's super, super hyper aware of like what other people are creating around him now, but also what people have created in the past. Like he listens to a lot of David Bowie and Prince. Um, and I, I think that's really important. I think there's a lot of danger in artists who like kind of put blinders up and, and don't really like pay attention to what's going on around them. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have yeah. to um, take criticism or, or like listen to your haters or whatever to use that like weird phrase. But 
um, paying attention to your counterparts and also like paying homage to those in the past. Like he's worked with Stevie Nicks and stuff too. Um, He has a healthy balance of paying attention to those who came before him while also paying attention to what's being created around him by um, his fellow artists. And I think that that's going to serve him really, really well in the long run. Yeah, because there are artists to look out in the, in, in the future. It's just that those artists are very hard to find because not many people listen to them because they yeah. aren't really, they aren't really, un, unless it's like a popular act like what you just said before with, uh, I mean, not popular act, but popular singer like Lizzo or Styles, at least people know who they are. But yeah. then you mentioned people who I'd never heard of and then it was like, maybe I'll start taking a peek about who they are. So it's like, and again it's like that word of mouth of it has to have a good word like people have to have a good word of mouth for music acts to essentially survive especially in this climate where it's like yeah 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 it's definitely got to be a community if it's not then like what what's it all for uh yeah for my last question it's a fairly easy question but do you have any advice for the people watching or listening at home or in their car or on their phone, whatever they're doing. Well, right now. <laughs> well, I already mentioned that one of the things that you know I've taken away from the last couple of years is that if if you find something that you really love, don't be afraid. Like, don't quit your day job if if that's what it means. But like, always find ways to figure out how to support yourself so that you can then do those things that you love on top of it. Um, but also um, something that I usually tend to tell people is that. Uh, I've found a lot of benefit in the last few years in reaching out to writers and creators and stuff who have inspired me in one way or another. So for example, you know, like if I've, if I've read a book and I really liked it and I thought it was really great and it touched me in some way, I will find the author on Twitter or something like that and send them a message and be like, Hey, really loved your book, that kind of thing. And I've made some friends doing that. So I would say, you know, like if you are hoping to build a community in whatever industry, that you're working in don't be afraid to reach out to those people who you admire at all they are on social media they're on email they're on whatever um even if they don't answer whatever who cares but a lot of times they do and it feels you know i've had people do that to me i've had people say to me like oh i read this years and i really liked it it means the world when writers and creators and artists hear that you know that that kind of back and forth so like don't be afraid to reach out to those people they're 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 also people they're also fans just like you Yes, and continue re- really doing reaching out because if you do reach out to someone and they do respond back, you know, it, it, it is a nice stepping stone to essentially going forth. Exactly. And thank you, Alyssa, for being my guest today. Uh, that pleasure. It was great. That is episode two of season two. Oh, and before we go, do you have any social medias you want to plug in? My own social media? Yeah, do you have like social media you want to plug? Yeah, I am at AllisonRap22 on Twitter. Please follow me. And on Instagram as well. Um, so yeah, hit me up, drop me a line. I'm I'm all ears. Thanks everybody. This was really, really awesome. <sighs> and thank you everyone for watching or listening or both. And take care, everyone. Please be safe.